I proposed a couple of different things that we expand into this small town of Rick Real next door and then a very rural area south of the city of Dallas. And it's not a lot in terms of dollars for construction, but um, it's pretty significant for my net. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Almost forgot where I was there for a second. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Today, we're speaking with uh, a new person from a network we've talked to uh, multiple times. Uh, Welcome to the show, PJ Armstrong, uh, the the general manager interim at MyNet. Thanks, Chris. It's great to have you. Um, you know, uh, Don Patton has been running this show out there for a while, and um, I knew him when he was here in Minnesota, and uh, seemed like he did good work. But um, you know, if he didn't, you could expose him now because he can't take any revenge on you now. <laughs> <laughs> I won't do that, and I'll be honest, he did awesome work. I mean, he really came in. I think it was 2013, and turned mine it around to what it is today, and really put us in a position to be able to do some of the things that we're probably going to talk about today. Sure. I think it's a good place to start with some of that background. Um, MyNet, um, I mean, I find interesting is um, it's a rare case of uh, two municipal networks working together under one name. So tell us a little bit about how that started. The simple story is, you know, the cities of Month and Independence went out to the incumbents and talked to them about upgrading the infrastructure because the quality of service is not good. That same old story. And we're told you know, go, go pound sand and it didn't happen. And so they, you know, put together an intergovernmental agreement and came together and formed MyNet, which is a fiber to the home uh, company that um, serves the city limits of Monmouth and Independence in the Willamette Valley here in Oregon. And we've expanded into Dallas. That's, that's kind of the high level. And, and the Willamette Valley is known for being just insanely fertile, right? A lot of farms. A lot of farms, a lot of farmland, right? And we'll probably talk about that with some of the expansion discussion because it's going into those rural areas. But yeah, a lot of farmland right where we're at, um, tons of wineries. Now, when you say the city limits, do you have customers, aside from Dallas, we'll come back to that in a second, but did you have customers where you expanded outside of city limits? And like, I mean, are the city limits, do you have farms within the city limits? Like what are the, what's the situation like there? No, I mean, it's like surrounded by farmland, but but not within the city limits. And that was the original construction was the city limits of Monmouth and Independence. So we really haven't had an ability to go outside of that yet. And you're old school, right? I mean, like this is one of the, not one of the first no waves, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're, but you're not, um, you're not one of the, the first wave. It's sort of like second wave municipal fiber. I think I would say like 2006, 2007 or so. Is that right? Yeah. 2006 yeah. is when we turned up customer number one. And so now you're looking at all these like young ones that are like being born in, in Colorado and it's really these whippersnappers just coming along. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you know, the, the type of infrastructure that we built here, and, and this is a little technical going geeky probably, but the type of infrastructure we built here at Momfin Independence is, you know, old school FOSC enclosures and two count drop and manual splice. And then when we get in the Dallas market, it's MSTs and pre-connectorized drops and um, installations that are a lot more simple than what we started out with here at, uh, at MyNet. So do your do your techs then and I mean we don't have to we don't have to worry about being a little too technical the uh, there's some folks who listen to this show just hoping that we we get into the technical details that, that's where I'm probably more comfortable <laughs> I love it do you still have techs then that have to have the older technology skills of of maintaining those networks then for the the original ones that you built well yeah I mean if you're talking about like just with spot splicing I mean we have good splicers but yeah they absolutely do they're in the Fosk enclosures and 
you know, they're, they're buckling down the strength members and breaking out two count drop and all of that stuff, managing enclosures that have been there for 16 years. And some people that might not have taken care of them as well as they should have. And they're a rat's nest and um, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. 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 So that's where I feel like when, um, when people are thinking, oh, like we'll build a fiber optic network, like they don't, you don't think about that and how the technology changes and you have to deal with the vermin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> every year we get a couple squirrel shoes. Yep. Oh yeah. Well, I think that's uh, that's somewhat inevitable. Probably. I remember when the plan for Dallas came along. Um, I do, and I also remember that just before that, it seemed like um, there was an effort to try to recruit people to come do more farming in the area um, because of advanced agriculture type opportunities and things like that. Um, uh, so I don't know if any, did anything really come of that that you're familiar with? A little bit from the, on the city of independence side and not directly related to mine it, but I can tell you, I'm not going to have a lot of detail for you today, but I can tell you, I just actually talked to the economic development um, gentleman with the city of independence relative to expansion work that we're going to be doing outside of the city limits. And, uh, we've very briefly touched on agriculture and how this is going to um, this expansion work will bring our services out to some of that farmland that surrounds us. Excellent. So the the kind of the big expansion that you did several years ago, I think, is actually once again uh, a little bit ahead of the curve because uh, just this week uh, we saw in Montana there's um, uh, another large bond uh, in which uh, Utopia, working with some local folks in Montana, have borrowed a significant amount of money at a really reasonable interest rate uh, without anyone backing it. And I feel like that's kind of similar to the the Dallas um, approach where you're working with a small community and you didn't want to take the risk by issuing debt that would be on in your balance sheet. And so there's kind of a vehicle, but really it was the strength of your operational history that gave investors the faith to uh, support it. They, they paid for that project and now you're finished building it. So how's Dallas going? Yeah. And Don Patton was, you know, obviously instrumental in bringing that to the table. And it, you know, what we do really well here, and I'll probably mention this again, we talk about the team and whatnot, but top-notch level of service, it's fiber to the home, that kind of takes care of itself, but we are um, really great in our support, you know, so trouble calls that come in um, on a daily basis, we resolve those almost 99, 99% of the time they're resolved in less than four hours. So um, anyway, about the Dallas market, um, yeah, so there were um, outside investors that came in. My understanding is typically they were building schools and prisons and that type of thing, invested in the fiber um, network, and I think it went really well. It was originally slated to be like a one-year construction timeline, and it ended up being a year and a half. And you know there were a lot of contractors involved, so there was a bit of a herding cat kind of thing. It was a design-build project, so sometimes it was build and design. You know, it was a little bit bumpy, but it's. I think it went really well overall. And you were just mentioning the the resolution um, that you would resolve so many of those problems immediately, uh, and that's. I think that is probably why you have such a high take rate in in your areas, which is what gave the investors, uh, you know, I think um, confidence that you would be a, a good bet to build out this. Um, and how big is Dallas? How how many people are in there? There's roughly. 5,500 passings available to us at this point in time. So, I mean, that's probably a good, like 12, 15,000 people or so, I'm guessing. That's a sizable community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yep. 
uh, one of the things I wanted to ask now that we're two years into the pandemic is, um, you know, how how is that reacting? I mean, thinking more about specifically uh, Monmouth and Independence, I think, you know, they've had this fiber available for a long time. You, you already had a ton of people signed up. Did you see any significant changes with the pandemic? That's kind of the thing about the MyNet market. We were so well established that, you know, there were some periods of time that we shut down installs. Um, Oregon is pretty... Um, militant in their mandates. So we had two or three months where we shut down installs, but yeah, the customer base of MyNet is pretty well established. Um, it did affect the Willamette Valley fiber um, deployment because in Dallas, because, you know, we got um, that one and a half year build had gotten completed and it was a month after that, we had this huge bubble of interest um, and we were about to go out and install a lot of people. And then we got this shutdown that occurred. And it kind of took a lot of momentum away from that. And we've been working on that since. But yeah, in the MyNet market, we're pretty well established. So it didn't have as much of an impact. And did you, you know, to the extent that you saw other human beings in the real world, um, you know, what did you, did you, did you and your, you know, your crews, your employees, did they, were they kind of like treated like heroes um, in terms of, uh, I mean, cause I can imagine a lot of other folks, you know, have cable DSL around, not nearly as good a service. Correct. Yeah. What we saw, then they were, you're right. That's a really good point. What we saw a lot of, which I'm sure a lot of providers did was, first of all, our overall data usage during peak time didn't change a whole lot. Our 24-hour average, um, that's what changed. So a lot of people during, you know, home during the day, and we saw that change quite a bit. We initially, when this whole thing started happening, the pandemic, we got a lot of those calls that were, well, I'm connecting to work for my VPN and it connects, but then it drops out, or I'm trying to do a video call and I'm not getting the best kind of service. And a lot of times what that equates to is my internet sucks. And that's not the case. So we did a lot in the beginning. We did a lot of troubleshooting with our customers and, and helping them understand that it's really probably your wireless network that you're having the trouble with. And I thought you might be going there. <laughs> yeah. Wireless is not as robust as you thought it, at, it was. So that's kind of a lot of what we experienced in the beginning. Do you have a uh, managed wireless solution now to help We've had one for quite a while. We started with SmartRG and um, during the pandemic, we started transitioning and we are still currently doing that to Plume, which we're a year into it. And I have to say, I mean, it's a really great solution. Uh, I'm really happy with it so far. The only trouble, and that's what we did in those types of cases was offer that to the customer base and and it's really been taken very well. Um, But of course, we're dealing with chain of supply issues. That's really the, the rub right now. The um, different equipment I know can do different things. Do you have the ability to just do a speed test on the customer's side um, without touching their home network? You can. Okay. That's one of the great things about the Plume environment and and, uh, the ACS, the management system with Plume. And there's a lot of overly detailed insight that you can get into if you really wanted. But yeah, a lot of troubleshooting tools that are there for our customer service reps that um, are really helping us avoid truck rolls. Excellent. Um, bouncing around a little bit in, in Dallas, how did you go about marketing it? I mean, like, you know, you're here, you are, you have, uh, probably a hundred years of history in MyNet. you know, um, you know, with the utilities, um, you know, how did you go about marketing yourself in Dallas? Yeah. Good question. I'm going to do the best I can here because I'm not the sales marketing guy, but I, sure. I have a sense of what he did. And, um, initially we tried to start out with a system where, we market it by sector as we go into different sectors That was as it was broken out. And um, we have champions for each sector. And that was kind of starting to happen. And then the pandemic happened and that went away. And 
for quite a long time. And in fact, it's still in place. The um, door to door got shut down in, in Dallas. So we can't go door to door and we can't market to people. And that really has kind of thrown a wrench in the gears, but you know, he does the obvious stuff. We do the obvious stuff. Like um, every time we're going out for, to get ready for a conduit job for an installation that's going to happen in the future, we tag the doors next door. Um, We don't door knock, but we tag them and let them know we're coming and that we're going to be there doing work. Um, We, you know, the sales marketing guy has um, ads on the shopping carts in the local shopping center, that kind of stuff. He's, we're very involved in the community there, the downtown association, business association. Um, We do a lot of support in the community. And, you know, I think the, the biggest thing I would say is I have been telling myself word of mouth after pandemic is going to start rolling. And I hope that by the summer of 2022, it's kind of at a point where we're hearing all kinds of stuff in social media about how, how good we're doing and what a great service that it is in our support. And that's actually already happening. It's early. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. And I think word of mouth is like the best marketing tool that we have right now. It's going very well. Are you, have you been hitting your marks then even with that slowdown and whatnot in terms of the business plan? Yeah, we are. And um, so that's another pretty great thing that since the pandemic, it took us probably three months to ramp back up, two, three months, but we've had a very consistent level of install on a month to month to month basis. Excellent. So let's talk about the rural expansion then. You just got some good news, um, which is that you don't have to you know, pay 100% of the cost out of your own bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Outside of, from my net, outside of the Dallas expansion, which is kind of a lightning in a bottle sort of situation, Minot has never had the opportunity to expand outside of our city limits. Um, so the history of it is the county um, put a survey out to residents in the county to ask them about their broadband, the level of broadband service that they have and their experience. And they identified some areas of need, um, little pockets, um, you know, via GIS. And they kind of, they literally came up with some ellipses. Here's the areas that we want to be able to bring service to, and they have some ARPA money to do that. So they called in all the service providers and explained that to them. And I just kind of started taking a look at those areas and going, well, how could my net fit into that? And they're very open to any proposal. So I proposed a couple of different things um, that we expand into this small town of Rick Real next door, and then a very rural area south of the city of Dallas. And it's not a lot in terms of dollars for construction. It's um, there's two projects and it's one point about $1.3 million, but um, it's, it's pretty significant for my net. And do you think that there's going to be more of that? Uh, obviously the state of Oregon, it's going to have to distribute a lot of money. I'm presuming that there's uh, there are more areas close to you that also uh, will qualify for that infrastructure dollars because they don't have reasonable service right now. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's, there's a couple, I mean, there was, I actually made another proposal that was equally as big North of Dallas. Um, It's just that the funds that they had weren't there at the time. Um, One, a small chunk of this is a feasibility study for a a city that is nearby to this. We're surrounded by this rural area. And in my mind, and actually one of the things that I told our staff in, in relaying this information to them about expansion that we're going to be doing is, um, you know, there's all this federal money coming down for exactly this type of thing. And I'm viewing this as a stepping stone for Minot. And we're going to go out there and we're going to be successful in these rural areas and we're going to prove ourselves. And um, it's going to be an example of what we can do. And there's a, a lot of potential in the future. So I have a, a quick question that, um, no, let me put that differently. I have a last question, which may not be quick, 
um, which I didn't prepare you for, but it just came to me since we have a few extra minutes. Um, so as operations director, I'm curious, um, you know, are there things that um, advice that you could give to other communities who are building networks in terms of things that, you know, you came in and saw processes or approaches that weren't working well and, and you figured out how to improve them? Yeah, I can think of a couple. And one is that I saw the I saw this organization at a time where it was very siloed. So um, I, like I said, we have 22 or 23, we're pretty small, 22 or 23 employees right now. One of those two, I can't remember. For the telecom um, division. Uh, that's entirely. For the entire utility. Okay. The entire, <laughs> yes, our, our, our employee base, our entire team is 22 or 23 people. We just hired a technician. I can't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a time where, you know, we were siloed and at the bottom of the job description, other duties as assigned didn't exactly apply to everybody. And that can't, that can't be the case. And so that's one of them, you know, like I said, we all wear a lot of hats and um, we're pretty nimble. And so we're not all stuck to exactly, this is your job. And that's the only job you do. We're all here to get a job done. That's a big part of it. I will say that um, I don't know how much advice this is, but when I took on the operations director role in 2015 um, and a couple of years prior to that, actually, I, saw a gap in the operations, which was the OSS, the operational support system. And we, I programmed, we built our own from the ground up and just, and to the point that it is today. And we have our own uh, internally developed programmed OSS uh, for both markets that serves a whole lot of different functions. And I think it really um, allows us to communicate across the board without having to, you know, walk up and see somebody or track things on, paper or on spreadsheets, that kind of a thing. So that was a huge help. And we could talk real geeky about that if you want. Well, yeah, I think we should talk about that for a few seconds because I've I've long heard people talk about how important it is to have a, a good system. Is that the sort of thing that allows like one person to take a phone call and describe a problem and whatnot, and then like the technician gets those notes and whatnot? And, and I mean, is that the sort of thing that that software does? Yeah, and it came from, and I'm, I'll drop some na- a couple names here, but originally back in the day, you know, at the beginning of MyNet, we had an antiquated system, BillQuest, and we used ETI, and ETI was good. It was a provisioning system, but there was just a lot of that communication stuff that wasn't there. And so uh, I wrote a system, um, and this may be of interest to, like I said, really geeky types, but um, based on Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP, we have a web GUI front end. and the LAMP it's stack. Exactly- yeah, LAMP stack, exactly. And and it's exactly what you said. Uh, and we're an Adtran backend. So what I, and that was when we converted from BPON to GPON. We previously were Alcatel. That was a fairly closed system. What I loved about Adtran when we converted to it is that it's very open. You can get any of the data in the system you want. It's a MySQL backend. It's a, just a normal database backend. They have an XML interface. So it's really easy to get information out of the system. And that's what that web UI does, that LAMP stack. Our customer service rep, a, a, a person calls up and they enter their address uh, in the GUI and it, it queries the pawn chassis and it says, all right, well, I know this is the ONT. What are the services that are provisioned? What's the current alarms on the ONT? Um, they enter their trouble calls in there. They, it gets emailed out to a technician. The technician jumps in there and they close their trouble calls on it. We, we use it for uh, almost 100% of our tracking. It's, it sort of staggers my imagination that um, on, a, on a team, I mean, you're at 22 or 23 now, probably smaller than <laughs> you had time to just just do this in the evenings. I mean, like, where did you find time to design your own uh, <laughs> system? I think I was 
fortunate at the time it was it was pre-Don Patton when it started. It was 2000, maybe 2012. I was fortunate at the time with uh, the original general manager who I, you know, I started out in the field here. Actually, I was overseeing the contract installation crew and, and responsible for outside plant. But I have a pretty good background in IT. I, you know, I started with a Commodore 64 and a 300 baud modem. So it's always been a geeky interest of mine. And um, I was kind of just let loose to look at the operation. How can you make it better? And I was aware of Linux and, you know, some low level PHP programming and JavaScript and stuff like that. And I just kept seeing all these problems with communication from the CSRs up front. And we were like literally doing some things on paper and mm-hmm. you know, I'm going, this could be in a dropdown. You could select it, stick it in a database and send out emails. And, you know, so that's, that was sort of where it began. So you're able to kind of just auto, uh, iterate on it over time then. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly how it's been. And so um, if you looked at the, the Minet version of that, uh, well, I'll start with the, the Dallas one, which Dallas started a couple of years ago. If you look at the Dallas one, the programming on that is, you know, it's very clean. If you went back to the Minet one, well, it started in 2006 and it has been iterations over iterations. And um, it's, um, if you look at the programming, it's a little bit messy, but it works. Mm-hmm. Excellent. You know, uh, I often talk with people who are a marketing person or a general manager, and we don't usually get a chance to get into the details of, of you know, how these things actually run. Would you recommend that a, a place start building their own or is there enough solutions out there that are improved now that it would just make sense to jump on one of the commercial ones? I would say yes. The answer to that question is yes, the short answer, because if you can do it with what I said, we have 22 or 23 people. If you could find somebody that you know can kind of take on that little bit of programming, it's not, I'm no programming genius, but if you could find somebody to support that, yeah, I think any all day long, I would take a customized solution that you can make fit to your own operation, I would do it that way all day long. Okay. Excellent. Well, this has been wonderful. Uh, really appreciate your time. And, yeah, thank um, you for having me. Yeah. The, um, the work out there is just remarkable and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about uh, grants coming your way so you can uh, keep building out the Willamette Valley. Yeah, absolutely. That is our goal. Cool. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives, if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.